Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. Uh, my name is Jerry, and I like that video so much that I wore flannel today. Not really, but that does kind of match up. I, I love that song. I, that song stuck in my head. Hey, if you uh, weren't here last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Against the Grain that's based on a book in the New Testament that is, now you got to pay attention here, written by one of Jesus's little brothers. Can you imagine what it would be like to be this guy? His name is James, and the book that he wrote is creatively entitled, drumroll, James, right? Very creative title for the book. But it's, it's such a good thing to learn from a guy that was Jesus's little brother. Can you imagine what it would be like to come to a place in your life where you're like, he's not just my brother, he's the son of God. In fact, I've heard one pastor pose this question, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? But apparently that was the reality that James lived in. He wasn't just his brother. He came to follow Jesus, to believe that he was who he says he was. And last week we learned that James went on to be a very important leader in the very first church that was founded in the city of Jerusalem in the heart of Israel. Many scholars believe that he wrote this letter 10 to 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It's believed to be the first book that was written in our New Testament, in the collection of book called, called the New Testament. And so just think about that. It was written pretty soon after that. And it's addressed to persecuted Christians that were being hunted down and persecuted for their faith. James is writing to these people saying, I know that following my big brother is hard, but hang in there. Now, I found this was really interesting. I learned this this week. The Jewish historian Josephus, not a follower of Jesus, goes on to tell us that James understood what it was to be chased out of town for his faith because he was martyred. He was killed for his faith in his big brother. So think about that. Imagine being James and writing to these people or imagine being one of these people and receiving this letter from James. You've been kicked out of your homeland. Everywhere you go, you're in the minority population. Everybody's hostile to you because of your belief system. And knowing this, James is writing to them and saying, hey, I wanna invite you. I wanna challenge you to live counterculture which is why we've called this series Against the Grain, because we believe the same words that were written to these first followers of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago are very applicable to our lives today as we learn to follow Jesus. And if you, if you missed last week as we kicked off, I wanna invite you to go to our website to listen to the podcast to get caught up. But here's a brief summary of what we learned last week from James 1, verses 1 through 12, and it's simply this. Embrace the tests and challenges of life as an opportunity to grow in your relationship with God. James starts off by saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I was reading that verse with my 12-year-old this week, and he goes, Dad, I'm not gonna lie to you. That didn't even make sense. Nobody gets excited. Nobody finds joy in trials. And I said, hey, I get it. I understand. But apparently James knew something, and he wants us to know it and remember it as well. So that was his encouragement for last week. This week, James is gonna to continue to encourage us by talking about, of all things, ugly babies. You heard me right. He's gonna to talk to us about ugly babies that are wreaking havoc in our everyday lives. But before we jump in and start talking about ugly babies, I wanna invite you, if you are able, to stand and to read with us James 1, 13 through 25. Go ahead and stand if you're able. This is something that we're gonna do in this series. Where we're gonna read the word of God out loud together to kind of get our minds going as we jump in together. So would you join me as we begin in verse 13? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for James and his words here. I'm thankful that Holy Spirit, you inspired him to write them down and that he distributed them to those first followers of Jesus that were being persecuted and chased and on the run for their faith. I pray for those of us that are here today that follow Jesus, that have surrendered to Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use these words to challenge and to motivate us to not just hear these words, but as James says, to do what they say. And I pray, Father, for those that are here today that are curious, maybe are struggling with skepticism or doubt, maybe life is just leveling them and they're just trying to look, they're looking for anything. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the words of James to let them know that you're real, to let them know that you care, that you love them and that you have a good plan for them. We thank you so much. Would you speak to us today? Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, if you've never read the book of James before, I wanna encourage you to read along with us throughout this series. Um, If you have read it before, you're probably kind of like me. I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. There's all these little axioms and nuggets of wisdom in there. But I'm gonna be honest with you. When I read it, I think that James has ADD. He like changes direction so frequently. In fact, I was talking to a friend this week and I said, it would just be easier if between some of these sections, he would just write the word in all caps, squirrel, because he's talking about something over here and you're like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. squirrel. And then he's back over here and I'm thinking, James, where, where are we heading? What are we doing? But what we're gonna see today, we're gonna find some squirrels in the text, but actually we can, we can trace his line of thought. In fact, let me, let me say it this way. Last week we ended in verse 12 that said this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So you're blessed when you persevere trials. But then in verse 13, he kind of takes a turn and starts talking about temptation. Look at what he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, at first, it seems like a hard turn. You're thinking, James, where are we, where are we going here? But I think the thing that James would want us to know is that trials and temptations, they actually go hand in hand. I've heard temptations described as an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. And I'm gonna guess that you've experienced that in your life firsthand. 
Have you ever noticed that the trials you faced tend to prompt and even stir up temptations within you? Just for example, have you ever had work get a little crazy, a little busy, and you, you're not sure how you're gonna keep up and you think, well, I can cut corners or I can cut throats. I won't do it for long, but I'm just gonna do it long enough to get or to stay ahead. Or maybe life at home is, is overwhelming and instead of engaging with the people that need you the most, you disengage and you allow yourself to get distracted in any number of ways and you don't give them attention. You're, just, you're off someplace else. Maybe you're a student and this semester is harder than anticipated, but instead of digging in and staying the course, well, you're starting to look for some shortcuts so you can survive and fit in. Someone close to you lets you down and you start comparing them to everyone else and all you can see is their flaws. You have a serious disagreement with someone that's really special to you. And instead of going to repair the relationship, you just start to look to other people to meet your needs. Let's be honest, maybe being single is starting to wear on you. Let's be really honest, maybe being married is starting to wear on you. And instead of seeking purity, you're just looking for love in all the wrong places. And I think James wants us to realize that the trials around us, they're natural, they're gonna happen. We should expect them, but they also tend to prompt temptations. And so with this in mind, if you're taking notes, here's what I think that James is saying. Expect temptations. Just expect temptations. If you look back at verse 13, he doesn't say, now just in case you're tempted, or he doesn't say, hey, just in case you're one of those weak people that's gonna experience a temptation. He says, when you are tempted. In other words, you should expect temptations. But then he tells us what not to do when temptation shows up. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, James knows this pretty well, doesn't he? He knows that we struggle with temptations, and he also knows that we're tempted to wanna blame God when things don't go our way, but he says, whoa, 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 God wouldn't tempt you. He's untemptable. He's perfect. He's holy. He's pure. You can trust him. He doesn't want to call you off sides. He doesn't want to hurt you. But he does go on to tell us where those temptations come from. And this is where we get to meet those ugly babies that I was warning you about. Look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and they're enticed. Now, it's worth noting that God has designed every single one of us to have and experience normal desires that allow us to function properly and even enjoy life. Things like hunger and thirst and sleep and sex. These are all important things. And God has designed us to pursue and to fulfill those needs. But the problem comes when we're enticed to satisfy those desires in ways that he didn't intend or outside of his will. That's when we get into trouble. For example, Eating is normal. Eating is wonderful, especially when it's tacos, right? Everybody loves tacos, but gorging yourself on food is not good. You don't feel good and it doesn't lead to good things. Sleep is important and vital. How many of you were excited to get an hour of sleep last night? Of course you were, but being addicted to sleep and being lazy, that's not a good thing. Sex is a wonderful gift from God but he's designed it to be enjoyed within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. He says, that's good, do that. James says we get into trouble when we're enticed to enjoy any of our desires outside 
of the will and the design of God. In fact, if you look back at verse 14, he uses the words dragged away and enticed. These are words that you would use in a hunt. In fact, the Greek word for enticed means to bait a hook. And what's the purpose of baiting a hook? Well, it's to catch some unsuspecting prey. Now, I'm not a great outdoorsman. I don't fish that often, but I know if I'm gonna go fishing, I need to bait the hook. I'm not gonna catch anything without a baited hook, right? And the idea that James is driving home here is that temptation always brings with it some bait to lure our desires into biting. And what happens when you bite? What do you find? Well, you, you find the hook. The bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of our actions. And look at what James says next. He says, then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. James warns that if we're not careful, the pressures of our life and the desires of our temptations, they're gonna hook up and they're gonna have an ugly baby and its name is sin. And I don't know if you realize this, but sin is wreaking havoc in our world. And so with this in mind, James gives us a very important reminder he warns that our desires lead to actions. And when those desires go against God's will, our behaviors are gonna follow. And that's when that ugly baby of sin is born in our lives. Now, I know when I say ugly baby, everybody gets a little anxious. I, I ran it by my wife this week and she was like, I don't know, Jerry, ugly babies. All right, honest moment. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. You've seen an ugly baby before, haven't you? <laughs> Mm-hmm, and you, you look at somebody and you're like, ah, that one's not done baking yet. We need to put, put them back, right? And you're thinking of a niece or a nephew or one of your friend's kids. And for those of you that have new babies, they are so cute and adorable. I, oh, they're just gorgeous. I'm not talking about your babies. Ugly babies make us nervous and James knows that. But James says, look, the only thing worse than one ugly baby is an ugly baby that has ugly babies. And look at what he warns us against. He says that sin is born into our life. And you know what it does? It matures and it grows and it gives birth to death. And this isn't physical death. This is spiritual death and separation from God for all eternity. And that is a really big problem. Well, it's only a big problem if you struggle with sin. And I know some of you don't struggle with sin at all. I would like to meet you because I struggle with sin constantly, right? And James knows, he knows that we're all in the same boat here and he wants us to take responsibility for the desires that are lurking in our hearts so they don't give birth to sin. And so look at what he says. Look at this warning in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, first of all, he says, my dear brothers and sisters. He's, he's saying, hey, we're all in this together. I'm no better than you, you're no worse than me. Don't be deceived. In other words, he's saying you should expect temptations. Don't blame God when they pop up. And for heaven's sakes, don't go giving birth to ugly killer babies. And then look at what he says in verse 17. He's talking about sin and he's talking about death. And look at what he does. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Squirrel. We're over here talking about sin and death. And then he shifts and says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, why does he turn such a hard corner there? Well, here's what I think. I think he knows it's easy for us to forget about how bad we can be and how much sin has wrecked our lives. And he also knows it's easy for us to forget about how good God is and what God wants for us. And so here, James is reminding us that God is the source of every blessing we could ever want, imagine, or desire. 
He describes God here as being over all things. He's the father of heavenly lights, meaning he has created everything. Did anybody catch the sunrise this morning? It was absolutely gorgeous. And in that moment, I thought of this passage of scripture and I just worshiped the father, the creator of the heavenly lights. Have you seen the leaves on the trees this week? I'm sad that they're getting ready to fade. He does that. That's who he is. But not only that, James says he's dependable. He doesn't change. He's not shady. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And then in verse 18, he reminds us that God is gracious towards us. Verse 18, he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. Now, did you catch that? He says, even though we've all given birth to sin in our lives, James says, well, God in his goodness, he's chosen to offer you new life that's revealed through his word. Now, we can't afford to miss this. This, this is huge. And for those of us that follow Jesus, we might be really acquainted with this, but we gotta slow down here. He's saying, your life before Jesus, it was sin and death. It was bad. It's not just bad news, it's terrible news. But he says, in his goodness, God has offered us a new life that's been revealed through his word, which points us to, of all people, James's big brother, or as James referred to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is why we've titled this series Against the Grain, because I don't know if you've noticed this, but aligning yourself with Jesus, saying you're a follower of Jesus, doing what Jesus calls you to do, is not very popular. And it's not always fun because we live in a world that says, hey, if you didn't know, there's one rule. And that rule is there are no rules. You go do whatever you want. You name it, you claim it, you go get it, you feel good, you do what you want. And James is saying, no, no, actually you should live against the grain. He wants, to know, he wants us to know that God has a better life, a new life that he's offering to us. And when we embrace this new life, here's the thing. We get to know God as our heavenly father through his son, Jesus, and the work that he's done for us. And so if there's anything that would summarize these few passages, maybe it's this, maybe James wants to drive home this point. Embrace the new life that God offers. Embrace the new life that God offers. And with this in mind, he shifts gears again. And in this next section, he's gonna share some straightforward, practical advice of what it means to follow Jesus and live against the grain in some really practical ways. Verse 19, he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, there it is again. Hey, we're all in this together. And then he says, take note of this. Pay close attention. Don't miss this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now that just sounds like good advice. That sounds like the kind of advice that my grandmother would give me that I couldn't argue against. How do you argue against that? That sounds like something that should be on an inspirational calendar hanging in your office, doesn't it? But James says, that's not just good advice. That is actually what it looks like to live out your faith as a follower of Jesus in this world. Now, I want you to remember, who's he writing to? He's writing to people that have been kicked out of their homeland. They're being chased. Their lives are in danger. So needless to say, they've been a little tough. And he's saying, I want you to hang in there. Here's how you do it. Now, I don't know about you, but when life gets hard for me, I tend to let other people know about it in all kinds of ways, and none of those ways are positive. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this. Do you ever find that when life doesn't go your way, you start to huff and puff a little bit and you say things like, you are not gonna believe what happened to me. 
I went to Walmart and there was one line open for all 5 million people that were there on that day buying Halloween candy. My kids are the worst. My boss is driving me crazy. Oh, my neighbor. And you start to huff and you start to puff. Don't tell Steve, but I actually heard him say this this week. He said, there's not enough pumpkin spice in my pumpkin spice latte. And the poor guy ran out of the building. We had to pray for him, go hunt him down. We all have things in life that are just inconveniences that kind of drive us crazy. And we huff and we puff. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually called life-induced asthma. Life gets to us and we just start to breathe funny and we start to talk funny. And James says, hey, it's, we all struggle from it, from it, but instead of having an asthma attack, James says, I want, I want to encourage you when, when life starts to push in on you. I want you to make sure to quicken your hearing so that you can slow down your mouth in your temper that's sure to follow. Instead of blowing off steam by complaining, you should first be quick to listen and slow to speak. And look at what he says in verse 20. He tells us why. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In his wisdom, James knows, or he knew that nothing good happens when you give full vent to your anger. I can't think of one time in my life that I have ever given full vent to my anger and thought, I'm really glad I did that. That turned out exactly the way I hoped that it would go, right? James says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Now, does that mean it's wrong to get angry? Well, I hope not because I, I struggle with anger in lots of different ways. I think the point that James is making is it's what you do with your anger that determines whether or not it's good or not good. So for instance, Verbally unloading on your family in anger, I think we would all agree, that's not good. But channeling our anger to have a hard conversation with a cool head, that's probably good. Overreacting to a situation in a fit of rage, let's just assume that's not desirable to God. But harnessing your anger to act in an appropriate way in the moment is, is pleasing to God. Now, I just wanna take a moment and admit to you guys, these words hit home for me. I tend to ride on my emotions and I can be a very angry person and it's the worst at home. And I'm not proud of that. And so when I read these words from James, I'm just thinking, oh man, you're talking directly to me. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles with that. But James says it's, not, it's actually not just anger. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And if there's anything James would want us to know, he says, you've got to be ruthless with your sin patterns in your life. He says, it's too easy to be overwhelmed and covered up by all the garbage in our world. You have to live differently. And if you look back to what he says, he says, rid yourself of all moral filth. I don't think we have to define that. We can probably imagine what that is. But then he says, and, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And again, he's pointing us to God's word as our source for direction and wisdom and life. And then, then he starts stomping on our toes. Now, I wanna take a moment and say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you're here. Your questions and your doubts and everything about, you're, you're welcome here. Here's the good news. This next part doesn't apply to you, okay? I would encourage you to read it. I would encourage you to try it. I think there's wisdom in it, but it doesn't apply to you now, here's the bad news for those of us that do follow Jesus. He's talking directly to every single one of us. Look at what he says in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. 
Now, personally, I'm a little offended. Come on, James, you don't think I'm going to just listen to it and not ever do it. Never mind, James, you're on my nerves, right? Like he kind of knows, doesn't he? He knows we, we can hear it and not do it. If you've ever been a parent or if you've ever led people in general, you know it's not just enough to say, hey, here's the things that need to get done. What do you have to say sometimes? Hey, go do it. Like do it right now. Don't avoid it. Don't ignore it. Obey it. And this is where it gets uncomfortable for those of us that follow Jesus because we like a list of good things that we're to do in response to God's goodness. We like the list. We just don't always wanna do the list because we want to live life our ways. And James says, I'm sorry, I'm, you're being called to live against the grain. There's a different, there's a better way to live. It's kind of like going to the dentist and flossing. We all know that's important. We all know that that's a good thing to do, right? But who wants to take the time to do that? I mean, we all like the idea of going to the dentist. Nobody likes the idea of going to the dentist. Come on, nobody likes that idea, but we know it's good. And so we should do that. And James says, hey, don't, don't treat your relationship with Jesus like that. Don't, don't just read the word and walk away. He's writing to these people and saying, I, I wanna encourage you to do this. This is the life that God wants for you. And then if you enjoy sarcasm, James gets a little sarcastic here. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. His sarcasm is right on, isn't it? He goes, how many of you would look into a mirror and make all your adjustments and then walk away and forget what you look like? He says, nobody does that. Well, why would you do that with God's word? Why would you look at it and read it and study it and make a mental list of things and say, eh, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Or just walk away forgetful. He says, there's too much at stake here. You're missing out on walking closely with my brother our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at what he says in verse 15. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Now this phrase, looks intently, it can mean to stoop down and closely study something. Now I have a five-year-old little girl and she loves bugs. And you know what she does when she sees a bug? This is exactly what she does. She gets down and she gets as close to that bug as possible and she follows it around or she'll scoop it up. I mean, more so than any of our boys ever did. She loves bugs. She likes to study them closely. And James says, hey, that's what it should look like when you're studying God's word. In spite of all the chaos and the busyness of our life, we would be wise to stop everything and to dive in deep and to let it sand off our rough edges so we can learn God's wisdom and guidance and know the path that he wants us on. Now, I wanna be honest with all of you as the Carmel Campus pastor. This, this is why we tell people it's so important to get involved in a group. Being a part of a group isn't just going to make some friends and having social connections. That's part of it. That's an important part of it. But our groups meet on a regular basis to study God's word, and to hold one another accountable to doing what it says. And I just wanna be honest with you, if you're not in a group, you're missing out. You're missing out on the opportunity to meet people, to know people, to have a network of people that can walk through life with you, not to judge you, but can, to help you along the way. I'm in two. I have a men's Wednesday morning group that I love. Those men challenge me as a husband, a father, and a dad to be the best man I can be. And you know what our baseline is? The word of God. 
And we have a group that meets in our home on Thursday nights with people that our family loves and adores. Our kids love them, they love our kids. And we meet together and we have fun and we laugh, but we open up God's word. And we say, well, this is what it says. What's so hard about that? Yeah, I agree. Well, let's go do that. We cheer one another on. We hold one another accountable. And I'm just telling you, if you're not in a group like that, you're missing out. That's not a judgment. I'm just telling you, you're missing out on trying to do life all by yourself. So today, if you're not in a group, I wanna invite you to go to genesischurch.me backslash groups and to find a group that's right for you. Many of these groups are gonna be studying through this series together. It'd be a great place to meet some friends and to learn what God's word says and to hold one another accountable to doing what it says. Now, if there's anything that James would want us to walk away from this section with, I think this is what it is. He would say, listen to God's word and do what it says. Listen to God's word and do what it says. It's interesting to me, I just noticed this this week. James uses the word listen three times from verses 19 to 23. He says, be quick to listen, but he says, don't just listen, do what it says. And it's really good advice. And I wonder, I wonder, why James, like, why was this a sticking point for him? He keeps coming back to it. And then Paul Mumaw, our lead pastor this week said, you know, I can't help but wonder if it's, maybe it's something that he learned from his big brother, Jesus. And, and then he pointed to Matthew 7. Now, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament are the gospel accounts. They're like biographies of Jesus, where he went, what he did, what he said. And Matthew records this very famous sermon that you've probably heard of called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this is what it looks like to be my follower. This is what it looks like to live out the kingdom of God. And he gives all this practical wisdom and listen to how Jesus closes his most famous sermon. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a crash. Jesus says, wouldn't it be awful if your house collapsed on you and your family? Wouldn't that be terrible? Jesus says, I don't want that to happen with your life. I want you to challenge me. I want you to test me. Don't just hear my words. Do what I'm telling you to do. It will save your life. And it sounds an awful lot like what his little brother was saying to us. But you know what's interesting to me about Matthew 7 is that in Matthew 7, James and Jesus were just brothers. James wasn't a follower of Jesus yet. There's other passages in the gospels that say that his family thought he was crazy. They were embarrassed by him. There's one time they go to collect him to pull him away from what he's doing. James wasn't a follower of Jesus. But apparently at some point after his big brother had resurrected and said, hey, bro, check out my hands. It's okay. I wanna use you for my purposes. James got the message. And so with that in mind, I want you to look back at what he says in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law the word of God that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I can't help if James is just repeating what he had heard from his big brother. And I think he's writing to these first followers of Jesus and saying, hang in there, I know it's hard. I have the same faith that you do. He's not just my brother, he's my Lord and my savior and my King. And I think what he said to them, he would say to us, you should expect temptations. 
You should be aware, aware of ugly killer babies. You should embrace the new life that God offers and you should listen to God's word and you should do what it says. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for James and his words. I'm thankful for his boldness. I'm thankful that he's able to say so much in just short phrases. I pray for those of us, Lord, that are here that are followers of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you use these words to penetrate our hearts? Would you convict us to our core? Would you help us to hear the words and to do what they say because they give us life? Would you help us to embrace this new life? And Father, I wanna pray for anyone that's here today that doesn't know Jesus, that's skeptical about Jesus, that is having a hard time trusting in him, or maybe they're just getting pummeled by life. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. I pray that in this moment, they would feel your nearness in ways that they have never felt it before, and they would hear you calling to them, hey, I have a new life for you. It's found in Jesus, and that they would surrender their lives and begin to follow and obey. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.